There it's good go. to have you, my friend, Yael Osowski, with us at the Consumer Choice Center and Consumer Choice Radio. His program alongside his tag team partner, David Clemente, airs uh, every Saturday morning just after 10 o'clock. Yael, it's a pleasure. I hope you're doing well out in uh, Vienna. Uh, we are in the bayou. Uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, and uh, we've got some uh, conversations ahead that I think uh, you know will shine some light on this region of the country, the contributions its people have made uh, to our nation. But first, uh, let's talk about some global issues and uh, this massive cargo ship uh, that remains stuck in the Suez Canal as uh, this uh, $400 million an hour uh, estimation and trade that is being disrupted and may unleash a worldwide toilet paper shortage just as we were last year uh, at this point uh, tough to find some uh, toiletries in many of the uh, grocery stores around the country and here we are once again not much has changed and this time it's due to a ship stuck in a massive uh, canal that controls uh, some of the world's trade that goes on uh, within our global economy yeah, and I think this is a very good example of exactly why the entire discussion around trade that we've had over the, the course of the last several years overlooks a lot of stuff, and it's especially this. These are the kind of things that are happening all of the time, these ships that go through canals. You have you know these large container ships with hundreds of thousands of products that are loaded to go from one country to the next. All this stuff kinds of run it runs in the background, you know, when we, we think about taxes and tariffs and we think everything else, but it really is a logistics game. And this is definitely gonna be a, a pretty sticky situation. Plenty of memes have already come up. Uh, but you know, there might be a couple Amazon products, Joe, that I'm that I'm missing out on because this is uh, supposed to be headed up to the Netherlands and uh, Netherlands has a big Amazon warehouse and they send products to my home in Vienna. So there's there's probably a couple things I'm missing out of. I'm I'm uh, I'm pretty upset and uh I did see actually that there's a lot of American companies that are waiting on imports that rely on some of the cargo in this ship. So it just goes to show how complex, you know, our world trade order is. And, you know, when we want to encourage this to hopefully provide more options for consumers, better options and products for many of our entrepreneurs, you know, this is the kind of stuff that we need to have working. Uh, so, yeah, we definitely need to get rid of that ship. I, I mean, we need to have the U.S. military go in there with its own, you know, plow or tugboat. I'm pretty sure our boys could k- take care of it. But uh, right now it's definitely chalking up world commerce, but uh, it's making for a lot of funny memes online. All right, not to uh, you know play uh, tinfoil hat conspiracy here, uh, but uh, we know that that Suez Canal has been oftentimes uh, an area that has seen hostility uh, from uh, uh, the countries in that region of the world. Uh, am I you know going too far out on a limb here and say, well, maybe this was uh, you know uh, done purposefully and not accidentally? I don't want to go far too far out on that limb. Uh, but we know that the, you know, we have seen hostility in that region of the world uh, within that waterway at times before, whether it be you know this nation or that nation, uh, you know, uh, jumping on cargo ships or, or stopping ships that uh, you know peel into their you know their waters outside of that canal. Uh, it, I guess we have to wait till an investigation, but you know, why not just jump on the train here like most uh, media members do and fire a shot from the bow that uh, you know maybe a little outside uh, the curve, but maybe not. Who knows? Yeah, I think probably it's just uh, you know terrible captain. Uh, he got a bit distracted. 
probably checking out the scenes and the sites. What's interesting about the Suez Canal, obviously, is that there, there was a crisis over the entire you know property of the Suez Canal. And it was in 1956, there was the Suez Crisis. And uh, it was at that point that President Eisenhower at the time, uh, he actually did not go to war, but he was able to broker a peace deal and a ceasefire that uh, that kept you know the Brits and the French at bay and fighting with the Egyptians. Uh, it definitely is an important thing. I wouldn't put on. I'd, I'd probably put the the tinfoil hat down for now, Joe. I don't think it's it's our go to yet, but keep it warm and ready. There's probably pretty. Uh, there's probably going to be other circumstances here coming up that'll necessitate putting that puppy on. Well, anything is possible these days, so I'm not going to leave out uh, you know that theory because uh, uh, we have come to know uh, you know across various uh, issues and stories that pop up day to day that the unthinkable uh, you know is uh, you know very real uh, uh, here in this year 2021 I mean who would have thought uh, you know a year ago we would have empty store shelves uh, because we couldn't get toiletries, uh, uh, you know, to the grocery stores, uh, uh, who would ever thought that we'd be shutting down businesses and schools because the science and the data uh, was telling us to do so? Uh, I never really uh, figured out why the CDC thought six feet of social distancing uh, was a good start in the first place, and now it's three feet, or the whole mask wearing or not wearing a mask only when you're walking into a restaurant and then you can sit down at that restaurant table without a mask on, but while you're walking the ten feet from the store front uh, uh, to the uh, table uh, you have to have the mask uh, the rona doesn't know uh, you know when you're sitting down and, and speaking you know maskless so anything goes these days here yeah yeah so you just never know you know what is going to shake out of a certain news story uh, particularly one that again is disrupting so much uh, globally and the uh, economic uh, situation uh, that is taking place uh, right now all around the world and trying to get back out on our feet uh, yeah, yeah. Earlier this uh, week, we had a caller because uh, we were talking about the ongoing situation at our southern border. And I know you and I have touched on it just briefly over the last uh, couple of weeks in regards to illegal immigration. You know, of course, with the, the legal immigration process uh, being discussed uh, in your appearance as well. But uh, our caller pointed out a book known as The Strange Death of Europe. Uh, it's a, a bestseller, and it's talked about uh, you know, how immigration has uh, truly transformed uh, you know, the European Union and, and how co- uh, countries uh, are operating these days. And I want to get your take on it, given that uh, you're in Vienna, and uh, a little background on that book and uh, how the immigration, unvetted immigration, has changed really the populations and the demographics of certain countries within the EU. I mean, I knew that I could get informed by listening to the Mornings with Joe Catanacci show, uh, but uh, I didn't think it would happen so early on a Monday uh, when, when I was listening in. So your caller mentioned the book Strange Death of Europe, Immigration, Identity, Islam. So this is by Douglas Murray. He's a Brit. Uh, he's very active on you know Spectator magazine. He's on British TV. Uh, he does a lot of commentary in Canada and in Australia. And his thesis is essentially that European civilization as it exists today will not be able to survive the next 100 years of mass migration, principally from Northern Africa and the Middle East. And in his telling, he's talking about the culture of Europe has essentially been abandoned. There's an abandonment of Christendom, of you know, Christianity. A lot of the European culture has just kind of been mushed together into this European Union idea. And he says that by, you know, this new wave of mass migration coming in with 
you know, a very faithful crowd. Uh, a lot of the people who are immigrating come from places like Turkey and Algeria. These are fairly religious places. They do hold steadfast to their culture, and that's something that will directly conflict with what is happening in Europe. It's definitely the case, certainly in parts of France. We do see a lot of clashes between uh, many of the Francophone um, is, uh, I would say, Muslims coming from, let's say, Algeria or Morocco, uh, people coming from former French colonies. And in Austria and Germany, it's much the same with many Turks uh, who are also uh, fairly religious. And, you know, he has something to it. And I think the main factor is that Europe itself as a continent is not having enough children to really replace their own population. So really those numbers will be achieved. The larger numbers in Europe will be achieved by mass migration that comes specifically from these countries. Uh, there are not enough Yael Osowski-type immigrants who come in from North America to Europe. It's mostly from Northern Africa, the Middle East, uh, Asia, and the like. It's a very interesting book. I think there's you know some ideas I definitely agree with, some I don't. But it's, it does really bring up the debate again. And, you know, Europe is not a continent of immigration. It's not used to it. It doesn't know how to cope. We don't necessarily have in Europe the same style of the American creed where people have, you know, the Constitution and the symbols of, of freedom and liberty that people can uh, actually get behind. You don't really have that in Europe. M many of the cultures are specifically tied to language, to religion, to older cultures, Whereas in America, we're more tied to the, our way of life and our principles and the Constitution. And I think that is making a big difference. Many European countries don't know how to deal with this. That's why you do see the rise of, of many far-right parties in places like France and the Czech Republic and Slovakia and, and even in Austria. So I, I think it's, it's a very complex, complicated issue. I definitely recommend the book to some of your listeners who would like to know more. Uh, but uh, definitely a, a, a great mention on Mornings with Joe Catanacci show. Never know uh, what you can discuss on this program. Well, and from that, uh, I think that conversation was spawned after I, well, we were talking about immigration, but it all started with a, a comment that you made uh, on Monday because you're a little distraught with how long it took a personal package to get from the States to your home in Vienna. And uh, we piggybacked off that by uh, describing, uh, you know, our uh, pins and needles that we're sitting on uh, uh, every a couple of weeks within our small business in how long it takes for a piece of mail to get from one side of town to the other. And you were pointing out that there was, you know, the original argument against, you know, the government controlling much of our lives, particularly within the ability to, you know, send things between households or businesses. And a man by the name of Lysander Spooner, uh, who started the American Letter Mail Company back in 1884 in direct competition with uh, the USPS. Give us a little background on the old Spoon Man and uh, some of the ways he you know, protested the effectiveness and efficiency of government uh, all the way back in the 1840s. Yeah, I, the, Lysander Spooner is a very interesting figure. So he was a, a writer, um, probably more from the anarchist tradition of political philosophy, more of the, um, I would say, individualist, anarchist, libertarian wing. Uh, he was a pamphleteer. He was a political philosopher. Uh, he was involved, you know, with, with a lot of the abolition movement at the time. And he was actually really incensed by the amount of uh, the interference happening by the federal government in businesses, 
we're talking in 1844. Imagine how it's evolved in 2021. <laughs> but uh, what he was really incensed about was the post office. He found that the quality of the post office itself was terrible. The prices were uh, too high. They weren't getting letters and packages delivered quickly enough. So he started his own mail company, the American Letter Mail Company, started as a competitor of the post office. He had lower prices. And what's interesting is that Lysander Spooner, you know, by background, he's someone who did not necessarily believe in the authority of the federal government. He believed that the U.S. Constitution was actually too much government. Uh, his book, No Treason, discusses that a lot. And it is within the Constitution that we do find mention of the postal services. And that's what he was trying to challenge, just saying like, hey, you have this Constitution, you've listed that we need to have this postal service. I think it's garbage. We need competition. That's the better way that we can serve people. Unfortunately, within a decade, uh, the Congress kind of came in and, and really made the Postal Service an official monopoly. Uh, believe me, they tried everything to, to shut him down. They jacked up fees and rates for accessing uh, different ports of entry and, and different routes. Uh, they arrested many of his associates. They would make any contracts that he made with other vendors illegal. Uh, so the government did run him out of business, but uh, you know their prices did go down by a little. So he achieved a little bit. But I think what what's more interesting is just that you know our history is just filled with people like this who go against the grain, who question the status quo, and I think by challenging the rules and uh, you know trying to provide a good service, we can actually get you know the good American way. We're seeing that today with a lot of entrepreneurs during the pandemic and. And hell, it was even happening in the 1800s by this guy, Lysander Spooner. And, uh, you know, think about this. Uh, you know, back in his time, 1840s, it cost 18 and three-quarter cents to send a letter from Boston to New York, 25 cents to send one to Washington, D.C. And, uh, well, Mr. Spoon said that, in fact, I can do it and I'll do it at five cents. I'll be able to send a letter to do it effectively and efficiently. You know, only in America can we make arguments you know, as to how we can do things without government control in a more effective and efficient manner. Don't you think this was like the original, maybe one of the original arguments as to why you know, we should be you know, having a limited government and the roles and the responsibilities they have over its people? Yeah, precisely that. And it comes down to federalism. You know, that's a very important principle that, you know, we need to discuss a lot more because it is going to come up. You know, a lot of people are debating in the Senate about who should have this and that vote and whether people should be able to filibuster or something else. And other people are talking about making Washington, D.C. its own state with a few senators. You know, the idea of federalism is very important. The separation of powers is very important. The entire dynamic of states versus the federal government is very important. I mean, that's why we need to have good, accountable people who are in our federal institutions, but also our state institutions. And I think there is much more of that education. Uh, it's been something that has been, you know, a thorn in the side of our country's history for a long time for good and bad reasons. But, you know, the state's rights of many years ago were slavery. Today, it has everything to do with pandemic and vaccinations and legalizing cannabis and alcohol laws. So there are ways that we can pursue, you know, good federalism measures to try to improve and make our states just a bit freer. And I'm happy I'm happy uh, to be doing a part of that, at least, every day. Yael Lasowski with us from the Consumer Choice Center. Again, you can hear Yael and David 
Clement uh, at 10 o'clock Saturday mornings here on the Big Talker FM through their Consumer Choice radio show. Yael, yeah, the last two weeks uh, we've uh, kicked off our remote broadcasts uh, one week ago from Morgantown, West Virginia, this morning from Lafayette, Louisiana, giving the folks uh, back uh, on the Carolina coast just uh, a little background as to where we are in regard to how this area has impacted uh, you know the region within uh, their portion of the country and uh, some of the contributions they've made to our nation over the years and I want to uh, get your insight on the history of the French Cajuns since we're in Cajun country I talked about Marquis de Lafayette who was a general who in fact I believe he was portrayed in the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson as uh, you know the French uh, a war hero who came to the U.S. in fight of its revolution, who helped to get more support from the French. Uh, he was in the siege of Yorktown, played a big role in that final battle uh, for our nation's independence. And that's how this area was formed and its namesake. But talk about the awesome and industrious history of the French Cajuns in Lafayette, Louisiana. Well, I'll do you one better, Joe. Uh, if anyone is a fan of the uh, musical Hamilton, which I know you are, uh, he actually plays a big role there, too. So Marquis de Lafayette. I, I loved uh, the French pronunciations. I thought you actually did a, a pretty good job. You know, not, not, not bad for this guy. So what's interesting about uh, the French Cajuns, we would call them Cadiens. Uh They're actually from... They're actually my cousins, Joe. So they uh, were Canadians at one point. Uh, they were French settlers, much like my family. My family was in Quebec. These are the French settlers that were east of Quebec. So they're in what is today known as New Brunswick, um, northern Maine, uh, you know, all of these kinds of areas. That's where you had French-speaking populations that were loyal to either the British crown or to the, um, I guess, newly budded United States of America. And there was a large migration once the British had seized control in what was then the British colony in Canada, but uh, now known as Canada, once the Brits took uh, all the control, they actually pushed a lot of the Francophones and French speakers out. And many of them made the migration down to La Louisiane because it was still French territory at that point. And it was there that this kind of great civilization uh, built up. And there's a, there's a great book that I'd recommend uh, that I read just last year. It's called The Cajuns, Americanization of a People. And it talks about the bayou. It talks about South Louisiana, Lafayette. And in many of these parishes and areas, up until World War II, they were actually majority French-speaking. It was really the Second World War and then the federalization of education in the 1960s that changed the language of the majority of the young people and older people throughout Louisiana. So you have this entire area of the United States where people actually spoke French, they wrote French, they had French newspapers, you know, they were able to participate in business, everything in French. And once the Second World War happened and many of these guys went off to fight in Europe, you know, and they became much more integrated with the rest of the country, that story changed. But it is something very unique in American history. We have, you know, similar circumstances in places like New Mexico, and uh, there it is sort of a bilingual state. But uh, Louisiana is really interesting for that. I was in New Orleans a couple years ago. I tried to go meet a couple of my French Cadien cousins. Uh, I wasn't able to meet too many because uh, many of them are much older. But there is a renewed interest, I will say, in the younger people in Louisiana that are speaking French. 
I have done interviews with a few people there who are uh, speaking in French and, and teaching French and doing different courses. Uh, but it's really interesting to see. It's a great culture, obviously a great state. Uh, you're in a beautiful part right now, Joe. Uh, it's, it's great to know that we can give a little bit of education uh, to uh, listeners of the Big Talker on the on a Friday morning. Yeah, and, I, and you know, I, I, I get caught sometimes, uh, you know, am I going too far here and spending a, a good portion of our program, you know, highlighting wh- where we're at and, uh, you know, the, the formation of this region? I think it's just, uh, you know, very an interesting, uh, you know, tidbit. And uh, given that the, the world is filled with, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, information that, uh, you know, of course we highlight and talk about on a nearly daily basis, you know, we're on a field trip. So why not learn a little bit while, while we're on it and uh, you know get a little insight to you know something that you're going to hear you know nowhere else I, I think that uh, you know is why we stand out a bit we have no problem you know veering off uh, you know and taking a detour every once in a while as it relates to the news the information the opinions of the day you know why not learn a little bit more about uh, you know this area of the country and uh, you know its contributions to uh, this great nation and its people it's the joe cadenacci magic school bus <laughs> I love it. Uh, let's get on that magic school bus and we'll go for a ride again on Monday yeah, when we get back uh, here from Lafayette. We'll be back uh, with our latest uh, edition of the show uh, as we continue our whole week uh, trip uh, here to the Bayou. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for the time. As always, my friend, enjoy your weekend. Yeah, will do, Joe. Thanks so much. That's Yael Lasowski once again with the Consumer Choice Center. Uh, once again, we'll be you know back here on Monday, uh, bright and early, as we play a four-game series uh, this weekend with uh, the Louisiana Raysian Cajuns. Great to have uh, Yael Lasowski with the Consumer Choice Center joining us uh, every Friday just after 9.30 on the Big Talker FM.